Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to NJSBA's uh, podcast program, uh, Conversations on New Jersey Education. This is a school law edition. Uh, before we get started, uh, if you want to ask a question of our guest, uh, dial 1-347-989-8904 and just press 1 and that will let us know on the switchboard that you have a question. Uh, that's 1-347-989-8904 or you can just uh, log into our uh, chat room. Uh, you have to log in with... Uh, Blog Talk Radio, but there's no fee with that. And then you can just type in a question in the chat room, and I will pass it on. Uh, today's guest uh, will be, and today we we call this program "Can I Do That?" and or "Should I Do That?" Uh, and we'll be talking a lot of uh, uh, about the rights of uh, school board members to with the First Amendment, uh, how they disagree with each other, how they volunteer. And with me on that will be uh, Jonathan Bush from the Bush Law Group. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, thanks, Ray. I appreciate you having me. Uh, Jonathan, how, uh, where is the, your law firm located, and how long have you been in education law? So we are located in right in central New Jersey, in Metuchen, New Jersey, and I've been practicing for most of my career, which is now going on, I guess, let's see, uh, about over 15 years, about 16 years now. We've been practicing uh, law, and, and just about that entire time, at some point or another, I've been, I've been doing school law, and uh, you know, it, thankfully I'm able to say I love what I do. Um, I'm going to start off in this one because uh, I get these calls a lot. People say, can I do this? Can I do that? And, and a lot of times, as I was telling you off the air, sometimes you can do it. I'm not sure you should do it. Uh, but I, I think there's a a balance between the First Amendment rights, which we always tell them that they don't lose, uh, and, then, and then there's also the Code of Ethics. So could you explain uh, how the First Amendment rights affect a school board member? Sure. So I get these questions all the time, right? When I travel up and down the state, you know, my firm, uh, we represent districts as far north as, um, you know, uh, northern Sussex County and as, as far south as uh, Atlantic County and, and uh, uh, Cumberland County. And, you know, in, in the conversations that we have with people throughout the state, we often get questions uh, about whether or not a board member is allowed to do something uh, whether they should do something, you know, obviously we try to stay away from uh, judging our clients, but we do try to provide guidance on what is reasonable. And, you know, the, the first amendment issue is interesting because people often, they begin, they get elected to the board and they say, wait a minute, I thought this was going to be a really interactive uh, opportunity. I didn't realize that I'd have to lose so much as a, as a citizen in terms of my, my rights to express myself when I became a board member. I, I don't necessarily think that that categorization is fair. I think that first the First Amendment is with you no matter what, whether you're a board member or whether you uh, are simply uh, just a resident. And, you know, the, the, the trick and the difference is really how you express yourself and what additional requirements perhaps may exist once you become a member of a public board of education. And so, you know, you have these two very important laws. You've got the, uh, you know, the School Ethics Act, which is 18A 12-24, and you've got the, you know, the School Board Member Code of Ethics, which is 18A uh, 12-24.1. And collectively, right, instead of going through, we all, in, if you're listening to this podcast, theoretically you know what those, basically what those, uh, what, what the rules are within those those two laws. But you know what what has come out, whether it be through advisory opinions or school ethics commission 
decisions or case law, that's what really matters. And that's where you get the nuances of, well, what happens if I, uh, you know, what happens if I say something or what happens if I get involved in this political campaign or what happens if I sue the school district because my child has a special education issue? You know, those are the nuances and the concerns that I find throughout the state that board members really are concerned about and concerned over. And so those are the things, frankly, that, you know, um, that we find ourselves spending the most time discussing. All right. Let's get into some of those situations. And uh, none of these are probably new to either one of us. Uh, but sometimes a, a board member strongly disagrees with the action of the board. Um, and maybe they want to go public with their uh, action. Maybe they disagree with the school budget. They want to vote no, but they want to go beyond that. Maybe they disagree with the referendum. And they want to go public with that disagreement on social media or a newspaper. How can they do that? Uh, and if they can do it, how do they do that uh, with that so, disagreement? So this, is, so this is tricky, and this is where when clients get upset because the answer becomes – uh, sometimes, right? It's, I'm not sure. And the only reason I say I'm not sure with respect to, for example, some of these issues, and in particular social media, is because we really haven't seen yet an opinion from the School Ethics Commission with respect to exactly and precisely what board members may do on social media. But let's bring it back to something more elementary, right? In, in, in uh, 2006, the School Ethics Commission issued a very significant advisory opinion with respect to letters to the editor. Now, I, I can't tell you the last time I sat with a paper newspaper and read a letter to the editor. But the decision from 2006, which I guess was the time that maybe some of us were doing that still, uh, is instructive, I think, at this point as to what we might be seeing and what our conduct or how our conduct should be guided in, in how we, we, we proceed with social media. So I'll give you an example. Um, in this case, the, the School Ethics uh, Commission was asked what a board member must do if they were going to um, put a letter to the editor in a local newspaper expressing uh, a, a particular opinion on a proposed budget, which is another thing, by the way, besides letters to the editor, that seems to have gone by the wayside with elections moving to November because most districts now are not no longer, I should say, voting on their school board budget. But we'll get to that maybe later when we discuss board members' uh, involvement in politics. Right now, with respect to the question of you know social media, because that's really what we're talking about, it, it, you know, board members go, go on social media all the time, many of whom have, and I see the most often happens, have Facebook accounts. And in the letter to the editor analysis, the commission said that if you're going to write a letter to the editor, that you must, A, identify yourself as a board member, uh, B, say that you know, the board member, that you are speaking only as an individual private citizen, and C, that you are speaking uh, as, you know, on, on behalf of yourself and not on behalf of the board. So those three pieces are very, very important. If you say those three things in a letter to the editor and you know, adding the social media component to this, if you say those three things every time you post on social media, you should be okay. Again, I don't know because we haven't seen yet what the School Ethics Commission has to say about this. Perhaps at some point soon, I would really hope that the School Ethics Commission would opine on that. Maybe, and I know at least some of my clients are considering the possibility of requesting an advisory opinion to ask that exact question. But, you know, 
Does it have to be uh, in your uh, in your you know uh, biography, for example, that you may have your bio that you have on Facebook? Does it have to be on every post? Does it have to be on every thread? Is saying it once on a thread okay? Or if you're responding and post five or six times, is once enough? Does it have to be listed every time you speak or, or you know your message is, is posted? Those are the kinds of questions that board members are asking. And unfortunately, I don't know the answer. But what I can tell them is to be the most conservative at this point. We haven't seen guidance otherwise, so to be as safe as possible, if you really want to keep yourself protected, use the letters to the editor analysis and make sure you identify yourself as a board member. Say that the board member is speaking on behalf, you know, that you're speaking on behalf of yourself and that, you know, you're, you're uh, uh, as a private citizen and not behalf of the board. Now, um, and I, I think that's been the general advice I've heard is to use that same structure, uh, which does seem to be a little restriction on your freedom of speech because the average person doesn't have to say I'm speaking only for myself and not for anyone else. Uh, so uh, let's go to the, uh, another part. Uh, can a board member be publicly critical of his colleagues on a – I'm not saying he, but anyone – on a Facebook page or anything like of that sort? Well, so 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 I think there's there there are – in some cases, right, you're you're able to take a hat on and off. But in some in some instances, you know, and, and I think it's a fair point you raise. So I, I'm sitting here telling you that you don't lose your First Amendment rights, but that maybe there's some concerns that you have to raise as you're speaking freely. So your point, Ray, and it's a good one, is well, then maybe I do curb my my rights. You don't lose them altogether as a as a board member, but you do have some some restrictions and concerns. So you've asked me the question, for example, what if I criticize a board employee, right, as a, uh, as a board member? If you do that, you're running into potential concerns about sharing private information, information that perhaps only you're privy to as a result of your membership on the board. So to the extent, for example, that you are providing information about an employee that only you know, clearly that's a violation of the School Ethics Act. That's, so that's, that's one and, and, and a right. concern. The, if you're expressing publicly available information about an employee, it's probably okay. But obviously these are all fact-sensitive analyses and you have to look exactly how that information was or were made available to you. So those, those, are, those are, you know, complicated pieces that really require a, uh, you know, a, a set of facts to determine where, you know, where you'd have to come out. And what happens if I'm just critical of a fellow board member, which they're obviously not a, uh, an employee, so I don't have to worry about those. Right. So, so you can criticize each other. That's normal part of the process. And not everybody's on the same page as, as we know throughout the state as someone who is a professional in this business. But, but you know, you hope that board members are respectful to one another for the most part. And if they do disagree, they dis disagree in a respectful way. There have been cases where board members have treated each other uh, inappropriately. And I think the commission frowns upon that. But, you know, again, I think if board members act within reason and respectfully disagree with one another, that's okay. But I think, again, it's important. If you're talking on social media, and I know we're focused on the social media piece, but these days, Ray, that's really where all I see. That's, that's where I, I get the most questions um, with respect to public comments. And you know, occasionally you'll hear about a quote in the newspaper that says something about someone else or makes an opinion. But and of course, in a quote in a newspaper, if I'm a newspaper reporter, I'm not going to add all that extra stuff. But maybe uh, 
if you've told the newspaper reporter, for example, that those three pieces are important to you, perhaps the newspaper reporter will at least, uh, <laughs> if ever called uh, as a witness, agree that you, in fact, said those things beforehand. That's up to the reporter to include or not include. But with respect to social media, um, you know, I think as long as you're, you're expressing an opinion about a board member, what you say is your own that it's not on behalf of the board. Um, I think, you know, I think you're pretty safe so long as you do it respectfully. Yeah. And I think that's a key word because I always try, my advice is to be a little bit long-term. You're still a member of a seven or nine member group, maybe some five. So to be effective, you have to kind of work with everyone. And if you publicly uh, ridicule someone, uh, it makes it much harder for them to work with you down the road. And I think, Ray, I think a lot of that comes down to political advice often, which we stay away from as a law firm. But, yeah, I mean, board members who are looking for long-term relationships with their board and their community obviously would, 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 uh, would, be, would benefit from thinking long game as opposed to the idea of blowing situations up uh, as they come. But every situation is so different. And, and, Ray, let me just add one piece. Each community has such different dynamic Every place we travel, we, we, we talk about it among my partners and I at the, and the lawyers at the firm, there are so many different types of people and styles. You know, people say New Jersey is a certain kind of state, but, man, there's so many different kinds of people here. And every community has its own unique, uh, unique sense and um, rules and culture. And, and so what works in one place or what might be offensive, for example, in one place isn't necessarily offensive in another. And, and there's a lot of straight talk type of uh, communities in New Jersey. And, you know, they, they, uh, they expect their public officials to act a particular way. And maybe the people on the other side of their comments may not be as offended as they would in some other places, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that, that, I, yeah I've traveled the state. I have a question that came in in our chat room, and I'll pass it on to you. Uh, it's from Therese. Uh, can board members use social media to encourage community members to attend board meetings? Um, I, I get that a lot, too, that question a lot about can they use it for promotions like that? So the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, it's a public meeting. Encouraging people to go to a meeting is, is, a, is a good thing. Uh, the, the potential concern comes when a board member is suggesting that people come to a board meeting to take a particular position, which a board member has a right to do, right? So if you're, you're, asking, um, board, you're asking people in your community, for example, to help support the preservation of, let's just say, a middle school sport, which is on the, 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 the list to possibly be, be cut for budget reasons. If you, if you believe that middle school soccer, let's just use that as an example, should be preserved and you want people to come to the microphone to support that, then there's by all means, you know, it's okay to, to do that. But again, if you're taking a position, I think, Therese, it goes back to the initial conversation that we had here, which is that you've got to be careful in how you're putting your perspective, your opinion across, because Again, you just got to say that it's yours and it's not the the board's position. Yeah, I, and I because some of your board members who maybe feel that they have to make that cut might say, "Look, you're you're rousing up the people against us." So uh, I, I think you have to look at how everyone lo looks at those posts. Yeah, um, absolutely. Again, you, you, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, keep going. So you know, again, I I feel in many ways like you know we we have we have to, we have sort of two perspectives of the on the board. You have the perspective, and this is 
often the school board association perspective as I work with you, I've worked with you, you all for years, uh, Ray, and you guys provide a great resource to boards, boards of education throughout the state. And there's this view and during training and when there's retreats that board members have where boards really want to sort of work functionally together as a unified group. But that's also, you know, there needs to be some degree of acceptance at some point that's not, that that's not always possible, that the democratic dynamic on a board of education is that different kinds of people who may not even necessarily agree with one another can be elected. And so when that happens, you've got to find a way to, to strike, uh, you know, to, to strike a balance and um, you know, sometimes disagreement is very healthy. And as a board attorney representing number, a number of strict, uh, split boards, we were very cognizant of that. Yeah. I, and I, I will also say Teresa, she's not, uh, th- they would just like to get more people to their meetings. So, uh, no, she's so, not so going that, in that, that then, direction. Yeah, that's great. But then, yeah. then Teresa, by all means, go for it. <laughs> um, let's go sometimes if you're not even talking about board business. Uh, maybe your uh, uh, local board member is endorsing candidates for uh, mayor, maybe even governor or whatever. Uh, how can they go about doing that? So, you know, we've seen an increase in board member involvement in politics, I would say, uh, over the last couple of years. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not exactly a, a political scientist, but I chalk it up mostly to the change in the election cycles. I think that while many boards of education's, uh, boards of education have, have have benefited from the fact that they don't have to go through the budget process with their voters, and and that has saved some great, perhaps the uh, maybe has diminished the number of gray hairs that board members and administrators throughout the state have had when it came to April. The move of elections from April uh, to November has created the the pairing of many school boards with local political organizations. And so, you know, without passing judgment one way or the other, it, it's, it's better maybe in some places, turnout is higher. There's a number of reasons why it's a really good thing. In, in some places, it has led to increased involvement by members of boards of education in politics, endorsements, those types of things. It is permitted. It is allowed. But, you know, once again, we're in that position where if board members start taking positions on issues of public concern, they have to be careful in how they express those positions. And again, they need to be guided by the letters to the editor uh, analysis with respect to speaking out. Um, You know, just in in terms of some simple do's and don'ts and the types of issues that come up during, uh, during elections, I could tell you that board members may put up lawn signs Right, if they have lawn mm-hmm. signs on behalf of candidates they endorse, that's totally fine and understandable, and again, an expression of their First Amendment right, uh, and that that's okay. Distributing pamphlets, uh, if they want to stand outside the mall or the the supermarket or go door to door on behalf of someone they believe in, they're they're entitled to do that. There's no restriction on their ability to do that. If they want to donate money, uh, their own money on behalf of a particular candidate or in support of a position, they're they're certainly allowed to do that. They can write a letter to the editor, of course, with the discussion and, and, and the caveat being of what I've repeated a number of times already in this conversation, or they can post something on social media. 
But again, with the caveat of the letters to the editor rules involved, as long as they do that, they're safe. And, and of course, you know, they can also, let's say, I've heard of a board member who created a website on behalf of their friend who was running and it was, it was asked, can, can I do that? And the answer is, yeah, of course you can. You can be involved in political campaigns. Here are some things that you can't do in this analysis. Uh, you can't claim to speak on the board's behalf, which we've talked about before in this conversation, but you just can't do that. So that's, that's, that's one piece. And you know, if, you're, if you're supposed to be the person who speaks to school board issues and how this candidate that you're supporting is someone who will make the board a, a somehow better or stronger or your schools better, be careful when you do that because now you're getting into matters of uh, public concern where they wonder whether or not you're speaking on behalf of the board. You certainly uh, have to be careful when you're using board property or board resources, including, for example, your district email or using a district website, for example. If, you, if, you, um, uh, if you're engaging in private actions or, or speech, uh, then you've got to be private about it. And Sometimes we see this, and I've discussed this with you before, Ray, with respect to referenda, and you, mm-hmm. you find that boards sometimes get into the position, sometimes unknowing, uh, they get into a position where they're expending board resources to try to pass a referenda, referendum, I should say. That's not okay. You know, board resources should not be used to sway voters one way or another in an election. They can be used to educate voters, but they can't be used to sway one toward one direction, you know, or another. Um, you know, there's 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 a lot there's a lot of ways that board members can be involved in elections. They have to be very careful in in the way that they do it. But again, I think it's a it's obviously a it's the type you're, people who are members of the boards of education. More members of boards of education are the types of people who who you typically see in a community getting involved because they're the involved they're the involved. Uh, you know, uh, volunteers, involved people in, in the community, and that's, those are the kinds of people. So these are questions that are going to come up more and more, especially with this integration of uh, the partisan and nonpartisan side during November elections. Yep. Uh, and I would just add one thing, and it's not legal, legally a problem, but sometimes I've seen board members getting problems just for liking something that someone else posts that others might find offensive. And not that there's anything illegal about that, but it could create a sideshow for that person. And this, this, like and this is what, right, and this, I've seen that as well. And that, this is why this stuff is so tricky, because you can't take a letters to the editor analysis and apply it to a like on Facebook or a like or a love, whatever you call it, on Twitter. It, it's, it's a very it, – it's, it's, a, it's a rigid analysis for a world that is no longer governed by what you put from on pen to paper. And so I'm very curious as to what the School Ethics Commission will ultimately say when that question is asked. And I have it on good authority that it's on its, on its way. That question uh, or I, those I, questions are on their way. Yes, I, I get a lot of the, those questions myself. So, um, yeah. And I, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Uh, no. Be, before you were talking about it, you were talking about how board members, they tend to be pretty involved people uh, in the community, uh, First of all, if you get elected, that usually means that there's a you have some type of a following, uh, and this is in a different area. But um, there have been school ethic decisions about where they can volunteer and how they can volunteer. Um, let's go. With, we get a lot of board members who start their active parents. 
uh, say they're a, a, the president, treasurer, or something of their local PTA or whatever the parent group, a PTO, home and school, um, can they still stay in that position? Okay, so so we we both know, and as as a parent myself, I know there are so many different ways that a parent can become involved in their child's education, right? There's there's everything from being a uh, in room parent, right, a, a to to helping out with the local PTO, to assisting, for example, with your child's play or sports team. There's so many different ways to get involved, and many parents choose to do so as a way of connecting with their child and their community. So, you know, this is a question that we're asked all the time. Sometimes people decide they want to run for the board because they've had exposure to the school district through their involvement in these types of ways. And so on one hand, you know, you've got a almost a place where people are likely or possible candidates for the Board of Education. On the other hand, we have these rules and concerns about whether or not they're able to continue working in any of these particular capacities while they are, uh, you know, obviously board members. I'll tell you that there's no general prohibition on board members volunteering in activities within the districts that they oversee. And that's, that's a line from an advisory opinion from 2015. However, um, there are very, there very fact-sensitive analyses, once again, that help the commission determine whether or not something is okay. So in the advisory opinion from 2015 that I was referring to, specifically it's um, AO-15, it's from July 28, 2015, there was a board member who was the sole volunteer leader of a club that held its meetings at uh, a school in the, in the district. And, you know, there's, there's the, the, the commission said that there's a general rule that one-time, infrequent, non-executive activities and volunteering are not inherently contradictory. Now, all of us are scratching our heads and saying, well, the type of work I want to do for my child is not necessarily one-time and infrequent. Um, in this case, the board member was, that was being discussed in this advisor opinion would have had you know, di- direct day-to-day involvement in the administration of the club. And the commission you know, surprised a lot of people when it said that that board member's presence in the school as the leader of the club enmeshed him in the building and blurred the line between his role as a board member and a volunteer in the building. And there were some informal complaints from district personnel as a result of this who had other involvements in the building where the club met. And eventually uh, the, 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 it was held that this is the type of thing we've got to make very clear that it's not, you know, you don't want this to be a mess. You don't want the line to be blurred. And board members have to be really careful. They did give an example for those of you who just go into to, to read, for example, to a class once in a while, that coming in once in a while to read, during Read Across America Day, or if you're chaperoning your child's school trip, which I've been known to do a couple times with my my boys, um, not that I'm a board member, but that's something that really can, can pay back in, in ways uh, as a member of your community. Those are really, really fine. I, mean, I don't think anyone would have any question about that. It's, it's, the, it's the day-to-day involvement that the School Ethics Commission seems to have some concern with. And I have board members who are I have one board member that I know of who's devastated by this because she was very, very active and gave everything she had to uh, the play uh, and was one of the leaders of the, the adult leaders in a play that was performed every year at the high school, and she is no longer doing it as a result of her membership on the board. And that, that's a shame. And again, not passing any judgment on what the law says, but the result of this 
requirement by the Ethics Commission made it so that particular board member had to choose between their board membership and their decision to help uh, in the community. Yeah, and I, I've known a few people in that situation. I, I have heard, can a local, local board of ed pass their own uh, bylaws that a local board member cannot serve as a officer of a, a parent group? Or yeah, so, so that's, right, that's so, directly effective in the school district. Right, so we were talking about volunteering in the play or your child sports team. Let's move on to the, the idea of a PTO involvement. And, and in this case, from 2018, so we have a more recent example. It's advisory opinion A15-18. The commission considered the issue of volunteering in the schools uh, as it related to a board member who was also president of the PTA. So you'd think that if you had in one case a situation where the board member is involved in, uh, you know, in a club and overseeing and the lines were blurred, that that issue may also be the case with respect to the PTA. But surprisingly, at least from my perspective, the Ethics Commission found otherwise. And they, they said that it's okay to be the president of the PTA and a board member and that the outcome of previous school ethics cases regarding volunteerism depended on the standard that they described, which is, one, the level of involvement a board member had with school staff members and students, and, two, the extent to which the board member had authority to give and receive directions and orders to staff. And, and I think there was a analysis that concluded in this particular set of facts that being the PTO president is a passive form of volunteering, and so in this case it was allowed. And I, I have at least one board member that I know of who also served at some point as an executive member of their local PTO. And you know, it's it's really it's not a problem until someone raises an issue. And when they raise an issue, then you're you're, you're forced to explain, of course, in that case, that a PTO is a separate organization. You you've asked me because it's not governed in any way by by the Board of Education. It's a separate, usually five oh one C three organization. You've asked the question whether a Board of Education can go further, I think, and, and and in their own bylaws or in its own bylaws, stop a board member from participating in the PTO. I don't know if that's something that would withstand. It would certainly be a good you know good practice because you know there are times when board members uh, you know, get themselves into issues with their local organizations that could potentially create unwanted attention for the board. But none of us, you nor me nor, nor anyone, have the, have the ability to tell a board member what's important to them and what they want to be involved in while they're a member of the Board of Education. So I, I would just say that, you know, could a board adopt that? Yes. Is it enforceable? I'm not sure in view of the fact that the School Ethics Commission has already uh, made a determination that it's okay. I don't know how we can now say it's not. Uh, can yeah. a board become more restrictive on these things than the commission? Uh, m maybe, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, but it hasn't been you know, raised before, uh, before the Ethics Commission or the courts at this point. I do think, though, on uh, just my personal opinion, if you're one of those board members that came from the parent group, you need to talk to both entities because sometimes I think both groups want to know where your loyalty lies. Uh, so that's a political question to a, to a large degree, depending on the community. Um, Agreed. Agreed, Ray. Uh, I have another question for Therese. I'm going to get to it because it has to deal with a referendum. I guess she heard you talking about it, and so uh, they're going to that area. But uh, Therese, I'll try to get to it. Um, you talked about it before. Um, and uh, there are parents, 
it's not uncommon for a board member to have a special ed student. A student, uh, their their child is a special ed student. Uh, are there any restrictions in that area? Because uh, you know, uh, everyone's very passionate about their own son or daughter. So there there are some restrictions, but let me just say this as a blanket before we move into the more specifics. A parent is does does not lose his or her right once they become board members to advocate for their child. So that's the first thing that I need to say, and that's hopefully clear to people. The the second piece of this, though, is that um, to add to that is a board member is not prohibited from filing a due process action per se against the board. There are some restrictions on what the particular parent or slash board member is trying to do when they file the action. And these are very fact-sensitive questions. The first one, for example, in this case, which is the CIL City Board of Education versus Kennedy, it's a 2008 New Jersey Supreme Court case. This case involved a parent who was trying to provide services for their own child, and they were trying trying to have, I guess, have the school district pay them as the provider of services for their own child. And in that case, if you're enriching yourself, let's say, or you're, you're claiming that you need to be paid for something, then that's, that's I think, the New Jersey Supreme Court has rejected that. And so if your due process case involved some sort of claim for money damages where you yourself would be receiving the, the benefit, the financial, you as a parent would be receiving the financial benefit, then that could be a concern and that could be a, a conflict one a, seri- a pretty serious conflict, uh, mm-hmm. by the way. But if you're just advocating on behalf of your child, for example, you want your child placed in a different school, uh, school, or you believe that your child um, should be getting some sort of uh, services in the district that they're not getting, and you file for due process, that's not a conflict. And and that's a great example of where the First Amendment allows a parent to express themselves to do what they want. Uh, it's still it's still a, it's still a position that a board member may take on behalf of their child, despite the fact that they're a board member. If they're looking to enrich themselves through some sort of payments or you know sort of punitive damages of some sort, although you know punitive damages is not something you normally see in a case uh, involving you know due process, that's the type of thing where you start to become concerned. Uh, we're speaking with Jonathan Bush of the Bush Law Group uh, about can I do that and should I do that. Uh, if you have a question, dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press one, and we'll get your question on the switchboard. Or you can be like Therese and just type it into the chat room, and I'll pass it on to Jonathan. Um, just staying on the special ed uh, thought of this, I know board members who are passionate, and they kind of help special ed p- parents uh, sometimes be their advocate. They. Can they do that in their own district, though? Can, uh, I, I'm sure they, they can do they, it in other they, districts. Yeah, they really shouldn't. I mean, there's case law involving uh, a, 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 parent, a board member who, who is a, providing writing services, I guess, for, for kids. I can't remember the case off the top of my, the name of the case off the top of my head, but there's a case involving a parent, uh, sorry, a board member who is providing free of charge services for uh, kids, uh, some sort of you know tutoring type services for kids, college preparation essay type, uh, college essay type services for kids in that school district, and the 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 
board found that to the commission found that to be inappropriate. And you know, I think I think the same would be true. Uh, you know, I think you're allowed to be you're allowed to disagree with your board, but I would never want a certainly if a board member, for example, were an attorney and represented special education parents, perhaps the board member experience would be helpful for them and credibility with their client but give them credibility with their client, but it's not something that they could ever challenge as an attorney or as an advocate on behalf of a family against their own district. If a, if a parent comes to you from the community, you're a board member and they have concerns about special education, you've got to be particularly careful about administering, administrating the schools. And that's administering the schools is one of the, the big ways that, that board of education members on occasion get themselves into trouble because they think that as, as a member of the board of education, they, they end up in a situation where they're similar to administrators and they're really not, you know, and this is, Mm -hmm. I think, again, one of the most frustrating pieces for board of education members, especially new ones who don't quite understand their roles. They are not the same as administrators. They are governors. Basically their job is to vote on policy and to govern the schools in ways that the statute contemplate statutes contemplate, not to get involved in the day to day activity. And if they start going after uh, or is getting involved in a particular child's special education matter, my fear for them would be that they're potentially running afoul of the School Ethics Commission rules. All right. We've been talking about the school ethics uh, quite a bit. Uh, and uh, I know the question, and you probably get it all the time, is that a violation? Uh, can I file a complaint? Will it be successful? How often uh, – what is the general punishment if someone is generally even found guilty of uh, ethics violation? Is, or I don't think too many people are ever removed from the board. It, it's, Ray, it's exceedingly rare. I mean you don't really see people removed from the board. You often see situations where if someone is determined to have violated the act, you'll see censure. Uh, you'll see reprimand, but you will not see removal. You'll occasionally see suspension. For some period of time from the board. It is amazing to me how the school ethics, in some districts in particular, how the School Ethics Act and the Code of Ethics for school board members is used as a weapon, as a threat over particular people, and the way that board members describe it. There's many more threats than I see filing of actions. Uh, It's not the simplest, most user-friendly. Maybe that's a good thing because people are by the time they're done writing this and putting time into it, they may have a chance to think out what they're actually doing. You know, one of the concerning pieces of the school ethics complaint process is that it's often it's often a news splash, or at least a local news splash, when one board member files ethics charges against another, especially in this day day and age with local uh, online news sources, whether it's Facebook or whether it's actual news sources and news, you know, tap into or the patch, you know, some of these local uh, sites where people go to get their hyper local news, and sometimes the filing itself. Is a is a is a pretty big splash, and it doesn't necessarily give the opportunity for to have incorporated into the article the response by the person against whom the charges have been filed. So the newspaper story is out there; it's Googleable, and then sometimes you know the complaint doesn't end up going anywhere. The ethics commission either dismisses it or procedurally it's not properly filed, and that story just doesn't get the same amount of attention as the one 
with, with respect to the initial filing. So I always tell board members when they say, you know, bring it on, someone so-and-so threatened to file an ethics charge against me, I always try to say to them, look, if there's a way to avoid it altogether, don't be so sure that, you know, you're going to defeat it and all will be well in the world. You'd rather just avoid the idea altogether of the claim because the complaint, the claim is something that will be out there for people to see, and you really don't want that. Yeah, and I also have found once you file that ethics complaint, it's hard to bring the board back together because you have challenged someone's integrity. Um, and I think what they sometimes really want is maybe get someone off the board, and usually that does not happen. Um, right, they're very rare. I have, so right, again, yeah. they're, they're likely to be, if they're even found to have violated what you're accusing them of, it'll usually be some sort of reprimand. That's the most likely scenario. Yeah. Uh, I have two questions that are coming on, one from uh, Mary Ann. Uh, can an elected school board member also be a elected political committee person? Uh, I guess she means like the county committee. Absolutely. And again, they, they just have to be careful to some degree about the way that they, you know, because they, they don't necessarily, they're, they're not as free to say everything that their fellow county committee member would be able to say on Facebook. You have to follow those rules. Marion, that's a great question. There's many board members that I represent throughout the state who happen to also be members of either the Democratic or Republican uh, county committee in their particular area. Yes, I have seen that too. Um, <laughs> Back to uh, – I have another question from someone, uh, but outside of special ed. What about a board member who uses their role as a board member to do things that will benefit an individual member of the public? Uh, so, so that that would that that would be a, that would likely you know again without knowing the exact facts of that particular situation that would likely if they're they're doing something to benefit a member of the public I guess the question becomes what is what is the reason they're doing it who, to, who you know what's the relationship between the board member and the member of the public but it could be an ethics violation depending on the actual facts of the of of the uh, complaint. Yeah, if they're doing something that might be helping a political candidate get a services from the school district maybe a, uh so the boy you need a I mean, lot all of board members do that one yeah all board members come to these roles with their ideas of what should be done so everyone could potentially be someone who's trying to uh bring something you know bring have something done by the board to accomplish some greater good and that in many ways is the political process that that we have here in New Jersey and in the United States but it's a, you know it, there's a there's a fine line if you're trying to get something done as a political favor is it you know are you trying to get something done for your boss are you trying to get something done for your family that's when you start to get into the area where the yellow light becomes a green uh, I should say a yellow light becomes a red one yeah uh, just back to Teresa's question, uh, which wasn't really in our situation about a bond referendum. Uh, uh, she wants to know uh, what can the board do in social media in terms of the referendum? So I think you and I, in I want to say in March of 2017, had a conversation about this. Yeah, and, we did. Know, what, I was trying to think of the date, too. <laughs> Yeah, I can refer. Let me see if I can find it while I'm having this conversation, real quick, just to, to refresh. But there's a there's a general rule of thumb uh, with respect to board of education referenda, and you know, it's counterintuitive to the average person who is involved in supporting a referendum because the board of education is 
presenting the question, often because most, if not all, the board is on the same page about accomplishing a particular purpose. So yes, I think obviously you know you want to you want to promote this, you want to push this issue, but you know the the political process is got to be seen as fair. And if you as a board are hosting an election, because it's your election, you're paying for it as a board of education, you have to give as much opportunity to uh, all sides as possible. And that doesn't mean having a debate and giving the yes supporters in one place and the no, uh, you know, the, the no advocates their place as well. But your role as a board is to educate the public. And you can use social media as a school district to do so. But be very, very careful in how you approach that because you don't want to be accused of, of, of in any way of, of using your, your position as a board of education and the authority of the board of education with backing a particular position in the election. It really has to be neutral. Uh, your position has to be neutral, and and your attorney uh, can can help you with that. I, I'm looking here, and uh, and I'm remembering now. So you and I, Ray, talked about this topic on the school law today, navigating the board through the referendum process on March 3rd, 2017. So there's a oh, link to good. that. Uh, yeah, I just found it. There's a link to that on my my firm's website on my on my bio, and I should say. Um, if you go to the bushlawgroup.com, which B-U-S-C-H-lawgroup.com, and you click on attorneys, uh, drop down to my name, which is the first name at the top, Jonathan M. Bush, and you go down to speaking engagements, I think you'll find a link to Ray and me having this exact conversation, and I hope, uh, I hope it's helpful for you. Yeah, that was Teresa. And you can go to our website, too, and just go to March 2017. There you two go. Two quick questions, two quick follow-ups. Um, one... Uh, as a board member, you can post that as a uh, individual, you are supporting a referendum on your own Facebook page. Yes, of course, of course you may, and you know you you have a right to an opinion, and you don't have to hide what that opinion is. In fact, many board members, as I explained to you in that discussion, had a very specific, uh, you know, had a had a very, you know, very specific ways that they have push the referendum. Some of them have, for example, offices uh, that they have used because they have multiple phone lines where they've host, hosted phone bankers or uh, envelope stuffing parties. Um, but, you know, as long as it's not done on board property, it's okay. You, you can say what you want. You can be involved. You can have a lawn sign. You can go door to door. You can do those things. But just be mindful of that letters to the editor case when you're expressing your opinion. Last question from someone uh, in our uh, chat, uh, not in the chat room, in uh, on our switchboard, uh, and this is a good question. I didn't think of this one. Is um, what's the board's role, a board member's role, uh, to participate in the education foundation? Uh, so it's similar, I would think, to the PTO. I, I, as a, as a, so it's a big difference between what I think personally and what I would advise as an attorney. As an attorney, I always provide my clients with options and then allow allow the, the client to make the decision. I'll say, here's the most aggressive option, here is the most conservative option, and there, anywhere in between I can defend it. But in, in the case of a foundation, it's, uh, you know, the pro a properly formed foundation is going to be a 501c3. So it's going to be a federally, you know, not federally registered nonprofit organization. So that donors to the foundation and donors to, uh, you know, to a PTO, for example, will be able to write off their contributions as a 501c3 charitable contribution. Th there are times when members of the Board of Education 
could end up in some sort of conflict situation as a result of their involvement in either organization. Again, I previously advised based on the 2018 position of the School Ethics Commission that being the president even of your local PTO and a board member is okay. But it does potentially raise some concerns as I've seen personally and I'll put you in a position where you could be accused perhaps of, of uh, you know, using your board position in ways that the SEC, the School Ethics Commission, may end up frowning upon. So I think you have to tread lightly. Uh, I, I always advise my clients when asked that, you know, the PTO, if possible, not have any board members on exec, in executive positions, and the same with Education Foundation. It's better when possible to have board members not also be board members of the foundation. Is it a express prohibition? No. If my clients insist on it, do I work with it? Of course I do, because that's our job as lawyers is to help everyone get what they want as long as it's legally permissible. All right. Well, that brings us, we went a little bit over, but I think that was a good ending because it kind of sums it up. Sometimes you can, but I'm not sure you should in those situations. Uh, uh, so we started with that question and we kind of ended it with that question. Uh, I'd like to thank Jonathan Bush for joining me uh, on this program. Uh, and you can listen to this at any time and pass it on to others. And Therese, go find that one on uh, referenda from 2017 in March. So thank you, Jonathan. Thanks so much for having me, Ray. And thanks anyone who was listening. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye.